and welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way helps you decide how you want to tell the, your own damn story. Uh, and today we'll, we have two characters here about to talk about characterization. <laughs> yes, we are. All right. Uh, I'm me. That's Chris Bryan, and I'm a journalist, a longtime teacher, and independent author. Um, now both traditionally and independently published. And thank you, Vern. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you very much. And with me, the voice you just heard is the legendary. Who could this be? Well, it's the comic book scribing, iconic teenage detectives writing, great underused character developing, and globe trotting creator of the world-renowned Blackjack, the African-American soldier of fortune set in the 1930s whose adventures reflect today's problems. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one, the only, the iconic, the legendary, the mythic, the character himself, Alex Simmons. Yay! Let's hear it for who? Oh, him. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, thank you, Chris. And yes, and... Chris did earn. Chris did earn everything, and if you've been following our series, you know that Chris, for a year, has been working on building even further his illustrious career and experience as a writer. And we can rebuild it. Yes, we have make it faster, stronger, smell better. <laughs> smell better. <laughs> Couldn't smell worse, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, you know that I have been an enthusiastic supporter and viewer. Myself and the guys have been enjoying the hell out of WandaVision. And we have an enormous development this week in that the legend himself, Alex Simmons, has caught up with the viewing of <laughs> WandaVision and watched episode five. Yes, so he's I watched did. everything up into episode five. So I can't wait to say, Alex, what do you think of um, Marvel's WandaVision? I, I have to say, and I believe me, you know, I, I watched a lot of television over the years, and this is probably the most creative approach to A, a new series, but B, knowing the history of the characters from the comics and, and you know, obviously seeing the character in, and what these two actors, as a matter of fact, Wanda and Vision, uh, in the movies, how they brought this to life in this show, mm -hmm. the risk that they took to do it, to lay it out episode by episode, and not even like they did with Daredevil and stuff like that, binge watchable. No, you gotta wait a week. Yeah. You gotta wait a week, like back in the day. You, you gotta wait. Although the goddess keeps saying, I can't wait till it's all complete so we can binge it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's okay. You know what? More power she wants to, to do it. both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More power to it. But I'm saying that they took, they took risks. They were clever and imaginative with the approach. They did their homework. Every and again, I don't know how many people haven't watched it yet. So I will choose my words carefully. Uh, well, listen, first, bro. Yeah, the first. It, it, it has been spoiled for the world already. All, all I'm going to say is the first four episodes really, really are deeply immersed, deeply immersed in different eras of television comedy. And you can, if you, like I did, grew up watching those different eras. So it wasn't like I saw them in reruns. I saw them when they aired. If you can see, when I look at them, if I could see, yes, that's such and such a series, even though it's an amalgam. No, that's where the thrust comes from. That's the right rhythm. That's the right feel. The set, the the, the mm -hmm. camera ratio, everything. Is, these people did their homework from a production level. This sucker is, it's 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 cuisine. It's fine cuisine in terms of how they put this together. And yeah. I'm so impressed with that. I and what did you think about episode five? Spoiler free. Well, spoiler free. Episode five. Uh, well, episode the end of episode. Five, Four set up beautifully episode five. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and so um, I, I I will say this. One of the reveals in episode five, and probably others will feel the same way, I already knew this. I, I was, it was already in my head, this is what was happening. 
So that reveal sort of fell like, okay, yeah, thanks for reaffirming what I already knew. Get to it. But how the characters reacted to this revelation, how they are dealing with the ramifications of this revelation, I think is just really good, fun storytelling. Am I calling this Shakespearean and epic on that level? No, I'm saying this is really good storytelling. It's really entertaining. They are staying true to the characters. Uh, I feel that Vision had a moment in there that, you know, again, comic book character aside, what he is in terms of the entity that he is aside, makeup aside, this was a moment between two human characters having a real um, conflict and a real defining moment in their relationship. And it comes through in the way it was handled by the writers and by the actors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, without revealing anything to be quote unquote a spoiler, I love the joke of the, oh, you're this now? Oh, now you're this because you mm -hmm. want the puppy? Now you're that? You know, there's some, some fun moments in there, but there's also some very almost Hitchcockian disturbing elements, yeah. you know, that are also well handled and makes you wonder, okay, how far are we going to go with this? Because it's the potential now for it being epically disturbing within the story context is is deep, is really deep. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to be able to quote exactly which book on writing I got this from or which lecture. But, you know, um, someone, some wise person once said, <laughs> um, If you're, if your writing is is really working, then whatever you, whatever you're putting down is working on more than one level. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look at how that, you know, how that is, uh, what it looks like when it's really functioning well, this is a pretty good series to study that uh, especially if you're you know if you're a bit a little bit of a marvel geek or whatever or if you don't mind watching the millions of youtube uh videos that talk about you know each episode so they give you all the little things you might have missed and all that stuff because even the little here here that you were talking about not only does it work as a sitcom gag but underneath that it's uh related to comic history and it also is um, you know, so it's it's kind of foreshadowing some stuff that's going to be upcoming in the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, and it's also ominous. Yes, you know, so to to have something working on all those levels, I always use that um, that when I teach. Uh, I know you mentioned Shakespeare; it's not Shakespeare, but when I teach uh, Shakespeare, uh, it's about you know what the level two or three levels are that a, a character or a scene is working on. Um, and it's really fun to be able to see something in what is pop culture mm -hmm. work that well as, you know, in, in, in addition to everything else. And I agree with you about the risk they're taking. This is a ballsy risk as the first outing for Marvel as, you know, this is our television, not, you know, we're licensing it to Daredevil or, you know, or whatever that's to Netflix. That's, yeah. And Fox it's not going to be a part of MCU, which you know, I never agreed with, you know, I mean, you know, pick, pick a, 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 a field and play on that field. Let's go. But now they are right now. Every, now every, all the toys are in the, you know, in the same toy box and you can pull out whatever and play with it. Um, but to start this way and take this kind of a risk, yeah. And part of it because is, of course, because of the pandemic. But I think it's paying so many dividends because if they continue building like they've built for the first five episodes for the last four. Yeah, this is going to be a phenomenal success. It already is highly popular and stuff, but um, just as a piece, you know, because when it's all done it's and and you can kind of binge it it's going to feel like a long marvel movie <laughs> right yeah you know you skip the intros and it's just going to keep or, or, or recaps and it's just going to keep rolling and rolling um 
especially in episode five, again, spoiler free, where they went and how they took everything to a to a more ominous level mm-hmm. and walk that tightrope, that high wire tightrope mm-hmm. <laughs> of of painting one of their you know key characters in the universe so that there could be wildly different interpretations of her intentions yeah and and here's here's the thing amazing amazing here's the thing about it too you know um one of the things that I was noting that that I, I hope you guys are are really audience wise. I hope you're really appreciative of how hard we're working not to give away anything. We're we're <laughs> o- we're one of the only people online yeah. that is not leading with the spoilers because right. everything I watched led with the spoilers. Yeah. It? So so still trying not to. The thing that I mentioned for those of you who can't see my gesture. The thing that I mentioned. Where one elevates or de de uh, de dele- decelerates, that's that's slowing down. Yeah, but they only go in one direction. They elevate. Right. Okay. So um, there's a disturbing aspect of that, which if you let your head go there, and which mine did, of course, and it reminded me of two older films, moments in two older films. It is shocking that something would remind you of an older film, but go ahead. <laughs> You go on to take him out. Yes, yes master. <laughs> uh, anyway, one of them was The Omen. Sure, yeah. Right, okay. One of them was that, the original The Omen. And the other one was the original, and this is this is from the 60s, the original Village of the Dam. And anybody who knows either of those films will now have a clue in terms of what I'm talking about in this episode mm-hmm. of Wanda. You have a little bit of a clue. Right. But those are the things that flashed through my mind as I thought about that, because there's a similar little moment where you go, ooh, you know, and, and it, it does make one, as writers, you know, as storytellers, we look at, and you said this uh, a little while ago, just before we went, uh, we started recording, you said, what if? And that's something Chris and I are always talking about, you know, in terms of how you look at a plot, look at an idea, look at character development, what if, blah, blah, blah. So there's that what if in this moment in WandaVision where I'm going, oh, this could go in two, three different directions. Mm-hmm. Mm, oh, you know, and you just start to envision those possibilities. So Pardon think, the pun. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing. It's a great thing as writers. It's a great thing as storytellers to be able to do that. To do that even when you're not supposed to do that or you don't have to do that. To do that anyway, it's like exercising in a muscle. You know, to just and, see those possibilities. And that brings us to what we want to talk about today. I do want to make one other mention, but the reason that all that stuff can happen on WandaVision is because you have strong, well-developed characters. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it? Um, uh, character is story, story is character, right? Yeah. Plot, plot is character, yeah. Um. I'm going to take a momentary aside to promote. Uh, if you, yeah, if you like this uh, show, if you like this banter between these two characters right here, um, please make sure you subscribe and tell the damn damn story. And you can like us on Facebook. We have uh, tell the damn story on Facebook has 242 members now. That's right. And um, we have some people that contribute there. They're really interesting stuff. We have, uh, this is a shout out to Jasmine Tejada. Yay, uh, Jasmine! That's a former student of yours. She posted something for Black History Month uh, on Tell a Damn Story about Mansa Musa. And you know that hit me right in the heart, right? Yes. Because hey, Chris. One, of the th- one of the things that I pestered Alex about <laughs> a few years ago, it's at least, it's at least 10 years, maybe 20 was I th- I thought that Mansa Musa that 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 was perfect for a blackjack story. I didn't have the story. No, twenty years ago you didn't have the story. Ten years ago you did. Yep. yep. <laughs> right. So we eventually wrote um 
Ransom for a Dead King, which is one one of our rapid reads, and uh, you can you can find that, uh, all that stuff on Amazon and all you know, and on your website and my website and all that. So Chris Ryan writes is my website and your website. Simmons here and now. Simmons here and now. So you know, it was really great to see uh, Jasmine's post on uh, the Tell the Damn Story Facebook page, and then I you know immediately found the cover and put it said look, ah! you know all that stuff. But again. <laughs> There was, um, I mean, there's the historical factor of Mansa Musa. And I wanted to write that story to remind people that the richest king ever, mm-hmm. uh, one of the more powerful kings ever, African king, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And then once we started rolling, the what if of how do we get a character like Blackjack? Who doesn't live anywhere near the time of Mansa Musa mm-hmm. involved in that story that is, you know, and it allowed us to do, you know, a little, you know, a little dash of uh, Indiana Jones, a little dash of history, and then a lot. Main course was blackjack, running and gunning and all that more, you know, rapid read fun that we have so much. And that brings us to character. That's, you know, yeah, it sure. was, you know, you had. Blackjack was well developed by that time, and and when you have a character that well developed, when you do the what if, you know, ideas um, will bounce off each other, right? right. And today's episode, if we're finally getting to it because we were having so much fun with WandaVision, (laughs) is about that conversation and characterization and 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 the hows and whys, and you developed a bunch of questions. Now, you can ask the questions, or I can ask the questions. I have them right in front of me. What would you like well, to do? Well, you've got to start out with one. Go ahead. All right. So um, you were talking, you, your suggestion for this week, though, to, to talk about specific characterizations and how best to bring them forward, characters, characters forward in a story. And your first question was, um, who is the victim in a story and how to create empathy? When I saw that as your opening question, I thought that was an interesting uh, um, way to throw down the gauntlet, baby. Um, <laughs> to start with, to start hey, with, who I is the victim? I thought I should share it with you. <laughs> who is the victim in the story, and how to create empathy? So let's go with the first part. Why would you? Why would you bring that question up? Um, who is the victim in the story? Why is that important to you? Well, there's there's two two levels to that question. The first one is is let me call it the obvious one. You know, people do a story, and some of my students do this. They do a story about someone, and whether it's an abused wife or husband or someone who gets robbed or murdered, you know, they're the victim. So that's the victim, and, and this terrible thing happens to them, and that makes them a victim. And then I will say, okay, so tell me a bit about the victim. And they'll say, well, let's say it's the abused wife. Uh, she, she gets abused by her husband. I said, why? What do you mean, why? Why, why, why is he doing that to her? And then they say, oh, because, you know, he drinks or it's this. And I say, okay, well, why does she let him do that? What do you mean, why does she let him? I said, well, you know, why does she put up with it? Mm-hmm. And there's no answer. Because often people seem to think, at least in writing, let's not do psychology of a society, but in writing, creating stories, and especially if you're new to this, or you're just working your way through, um, they, they will hang a tag on a character and say, okay, if you're the victim, that means that you're helpless and something bad happened and that's it. I don't need to know anything more about it. And I, I want, and you and I have talked about this, I want your characters to have more depth than that. Right. More than the stereotypical one label, that's it, that's all. So why does a person put up with being abused? It's one thing to be attacked on the street, you didn't see it coming, bam, that happens. But even there, you could say, why were you there? Like, you know, one of the things is, why would a rich kid with a, a fancy car be in a bad neighborhood and get, you know, off because? Well, if it's a drug deal, why were you there doing that? What brought you to that position? It's always about looking at the characters, whether they're victim, villain, or victor. Yeah, I worked on that one. You know, Noisely, though, noisily. Could you repeat that, please? Whether they're villain, Victim or victor, you know? Nicely done. Yeah, nicely. Thank you. Very, very well done. I appreciate it's, it. The more you know about them, the more levels deep you go with them, 
the more likelihood is that they will a be more compelling, more genuine, and far less stereotypical. Yeah. And, you know, to tie the beginning in with this, one of the reasons why WandaVision is so compelling is that there's a serious question about Wanda and the Vision mm-hmm. very separately, whether they're the villain, the victim, victim or, or the victor. Or the victor. And then argument can be made for all three, for both of those, right. uh, both Wanda and the Vision, and, that, and if that if that happens, then you know, then you have a, wow, you have a story. Exactly, and that goes back to also just again as an example. Um, I've been watching a lot of clips from uh, an old TV series called uh, Again you know, Shocking. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a reason. I'm doing some research on something, but anyway, NYPD Blue, uh, the old sure. TV series. And there's a powerful scene with uh, um, um, a character who's been arrested, who's caught, and who's, who's done a heinous crime. And Wait, heinous? Caught. That's law and order. Heinous. You'll be fine. <laughs> well, actually, this one should be on SVU. It's so That's heinous. It. <laughs> but the thing is that the crime this character has committed, you know, instantly marks him as a villain until he begins breaking down in tears talking about what he's done and how he can't control himself. Okay. And slowly but surely you realize not only is he pathetic because he can't stop himself and tormented by that, but then within the same speech, you find out this thing had been done to him for years. Right. And there's that descent into hell for this man who's probably in his 40s, mid to high 40s, that this has been a part of his life since childhood. And so what he has done is is literally part of a link in a chain of horror that he's lived his entire life. So yes, you do ask what or who is the victim? What is the victim in this story? And and if victimization is what the story is about, then let me look at this from that angle, look at it through this lens to make, again, the story have more than one level to it. And that brings us to that next question was how do you create empathy, right? Because, you know, a villain without empathy is, you know, just twirling his mustache, you know, or her mustache, (laughs) you know. Um, But if there's empathy there, you know, if there's a reason behind it, you know, uh, we've traveled the Marvel Universe, Cinematic Universe for 22, 23 films. And with that, we've experienced uh, Wanda's heartbreak over and over again. So mm-hmm. when we're seeing what we're seeing in that show, there's built-in empathy. Yeah. We know, you know. Um, how do you... I have an answer to this question, but how do you create empathy early on in a story to give people a chance or a way into a character? Yeah, I think that it depends on what you do with the character's personality in terms of what you you make relatable. You know, um, I will use two extreme examples again, and, and this this really works with subtle stories and small stories and non-fantastic superpower people and all that. But there was a TV series that I mentioned on a few different episodes that my, my son, one of my sons and I used to watch together during his first year called Dexter. And mm-hmm. Dexter is a story, it's a series, I think it went for eight seasons, about a, a serial killer who kills serial killers. So on, on the level of A, it's a bloody, messy show. Uh, Dexter doesn't just shoot him. Uh, it, there's a ritual that he goes through that is quite gory and, and, and really vile. And part of it is the way it's structured. The audience is supposed to be you know, able to be okay with the fact, well, at least he's killing people who kill people. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. If I could just throw a point in there before you continue with how we created Empire. Go ahead. Go ahead. He was created for him. You know, that high concept 
you know, a serial killer who kills serial killers, turned me off to Dexter. Okay. Because I was I was convinced there was no way I was going to be able to empathize with that coat hanger of a concept. Yep. You know, this is this is when you've got a really short elevator ride. You got to pitch quick, right? Yeah. Um, but we're going back to you. Right. They did have. They did somehow make you empathize. They did a magnificent job. I mean, whether you love the series or not is not even the point. They were quite clever, mm-hmm. and and did their homework. I mean, first off, again, how did this person come into the world this way? Were they born to this, or was something or a series of somethings done to them to make them certain tragedies? that drove them to this. So you learn as a series origin, sort of, you keep getting a series of flashbacks, you learn that A, part of it is nature. It, there's something in his nature from childhood that already set him on a path that had no, 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 no sympathy for life. He, 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 he was a sociopath, all right? Even in, child, in his childhood. But the other end of it was that he experienced a horrific moment in his life where his mother is killed, butchered before his very eyes. He's a young child. And he's there to see that and would have died himself because the people would have done the same to him, except the police intervened. And then the police officer, one of the police officers who intervened, winds up championing him through the system for a period of time and then realizes, you know what, I will take this kid on. And he adopts him. And soon realizes that the boy is compass is, is, is heading in a new north and that this is not going to change. And he's given the opportunity to, you know, hand the kid off to an institution mm-hmm. in way. But he can't because as a father, even though he's an adoptive father, he feels for this boy. And so he decides to try and raise him and and to show him, you know, there's a better way or at least there's a better life for you. And when that doesn't change him, then he says, "Okay, then I will try and steer your nature in a direction that will at least solve a problem or serve society in its own somewhat twisted manner. Now, again, whatever you may feel about that in terms of the logic of it, eh, live with it for a moment. So we grow up. He's an adult. He has a job job. He's doing what he does, and he's doing that other thing. But now he's doing it by the code that his father taught him. So, yes, he does go after serial killers. He only kills people who kill people. But then we watch him trying to pretend, trying to fit in, trying to, to be seen as a human being in his regular life, Yet he doesn't feel certain things. So trying to, he has a girlfriend, which he's faking certain things. But you see him trying to do it right, trying to somehow find in him something that will allow him to have a normalcy. Right. And that's where you begin to feel empathy, because we all know what it's like right. to try to fit in. Now, now I'm going to give a. Um, a Way different example, and a much smaller example. It's actually kind of, it's, it, well done. God bless you. But um, uh, it was kind of it's kind of like a um, a tricks for writers kind of thing mm-hmm. um, that I came across, and then I, I, I said, let me try that, you know, and uh, it, it works pretty well. And again, as always, I never know who I'm quoting. Um, I have to. Um, <laughs> But whoever it was said that um, have your hero do something, a kindness for someone else that will in no way benefit him or her, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, with uh, the first time we've seen Mallory, he's going to the uh, crime first crime scene of uh, in Everybody Pays and it's Palm Sunday and a couple are coming from church. And they're going, you know, their curiosity gets the best of them. They're going to, they head to see what they can see in the crime scene. And he just stops, you know, they have, they're carrying palms from church, right? So they just came out of this 
holy place. They're going to go see, a, a, you know, what he knows to be a grisly murder. So he, he just kind of says, this, today's not for that. Today's for family. Don't ruin your day. There's no benefit for him for that. But it, it was, a, you know, a generous or a moment of kindness, of humanity, you know. Um, and hopefully that would help people empathize with this character. Uh, because, you know, he's kind of an interior character. So you needed to see something early on to say, all right, I'll give him a chance. Um, By the way, I have a name for you. Okay. Who said character is plot and plot is character? I know. I, I've thought since F. then. I Scott remember Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. Um, I first read it with, I'll admit, I first read it with Sid Field, the, uh, um, you know, screenwriter, screenwriting yeah. teacher. Yeah. But it's from F. Scott. There you go. So yeah. God bless. God, God bless you, F. Scott. There, you know. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um. So let's go to that. Uh, your next question was interesting. How do you present a heroic figure, especially if he or she is flawed? Um, I mean, I just gave I just gave a tip that leads into that. But do you lead with the flaw, or do you reveal the flaw? You know, I mean, we did Dexter. You know, he's a serial killer who kills serial killers. Okay. Um, but that's you know that's the hook that's the hook that that sells the premise, and I think if that's not what you're trying to do, then which comes first, the the heroic aspect or the flawed aspect, depends on the kind of story you're telling. Right. I think that in a number of cases that I can think of, they usually, especially these days, because we're in the era. I mean, guys, what's it like twenty years now of antiheroes, so mm-hmm. you present the flaws first, because yep. it's like, who would believe this guy or this gal would ever do anything to save another or or, or do anything worthwhile? So right. you set it up already, starting out with this person is, is on shaky ground, messed up, not a great human being, blah, 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 blah. Holy smoke, they saved the life, or they, they, they the universe now hangs in the balance based on them. And I think to some degree, depending on the story, that, that builds up suspense. You know, it builds up another, and I think in one of our episodes I talked about Pitch Black um, with uh, uh, Vin Diesel, because the, yeah. the hero in that film starts out being the most dangerous killer and villain in space who's been caught, but then they wind up on a planet where the thing they go up against is even worse. And then right. he suddenly is the only answer to maybe that would get them out of this. So I think, you know, again, when you're dealing with the antiheroes, you definitely can start out with the flaws first because it right. sets up the premise that there's no way. Well, you know, let me give you, me give you three okay, quick examples. And then I'll, I'll finish what I was going to say. Yeah, oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought no, you I wasn't finished. Finish. But that's okay, Chris. Because no, then let's, let's, go with, let's go with what you're going to say first. Okay, so the last thing I was going to say about that is if that's not the case, if you're not dealing with an antihero, then sometimes it's more intriguing to set up somebody, and this is something I like to do, set up somebody who appears to be this good individual, whether they're the brave individual or they're just Joe or Jane Average, set up this really you know, good human being, and you anticipate that they're going to do the right thing, and then you find out they're, they're, there's quicksand, they're feet of clay, and it becomes questionable then of whether or not they're capable. Are they going to, you know, are they going to protect themselves, or will they turn around and do the right thing for the betterment of, of all, you know, whoever's right. involved. So I think, again, um, it depends on what kind of suspense or drama you're trying to, to, to establish. Let me give a couple other examples. One okay. from a character, um, you may not have heard of this character. Captain Crunch. No, um, Aaron Blackjack Day. Oh, uh, no, I've never, I've, no, never, 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 never read it, never read it. Yeah. But um, there's that, uh, you're going to tell me what adventure it is, but that, that scene, I think it's an o- the opening scene where he's on a plane. And he's the only black man on a plane. And the others are like, oh, you know, all the, the white privilege showing, just pouring out of every <laughs> orifice. Yeah. Um, oh, what is he doing here? Yeah. And then the pilots are 
dead, gone, whatever, and there's no one else but Blackjack who can pilot the ship or uh, the plane and save everybody. And uh, second bite of the cobra. Second, yep. And he, yeah. they, if they still, have, you know, uh, opposed to me being here, they can get out at any time. It was one yeah. of the great, one of the great lines. Um, <laughs> but he does the right thing despite how everyone else feels. Hell with them. He's going to do the right thing. That's beautiful. Um, Columbo. Ah. As soon as you, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, when we're talking about story structure, we'll come back to Columbo some other time. But as purely as a character, you know, in a visual medium, as soon as you see Columbo, right? And uh, Peter Falk, uh, right? Peter Falk? Oh, yeah. Peter Falk. A brilliant actor, but this is his just such a wonderful performance on and on. He is he's stooped. He's his eyes. He always had crazy eyes, but, you know, the one eyebrow is kind of looking out from under his uh, yeah. brow. Uh, the, the, his 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 trench coat looks like it's two years past the dry cleaning due date. Um, <laughs> he just looks like a mess. He could be a hobo. No, he's a de- lieutenant and the detective. And then he never seems competent, especially to the criminal, until the moment that he throws it all together. Yeah. And it's what a great entrance, episode after episode after episode. Uh, I'll go with another example. This, this is like me TV uh, section of our show. Yeah, there you um, go. Every once in a while, they throw on Cold uh, check the night star. Oh yes, yeah. right. Heaven, yes. They never, they never put the two. They he had two great television movies, and then they did this one season of it, mm-hmm. and they kept cutting the money back and money back, so that the props and everything get worse and worse. Yep. But it's got all these great writers that went on to did, do the Sopranos and all these yep. other things. They they cut their teeth here, but you. You get the feel of this character from the opening instrumental uh, and whistling theme song and and montage of him that one of the more elaborate. Now we have like two note theme songs on television today. That's it. Right. This has like it's like a five or six part, you know, minute and a half symphony. It's amazing how many parts that it's like bohemian rhapsody for tv uh theme songs and you see you know who this character is without a, a, a line of dialogue just uh from that the, the way he's it, dressed the hat yeah. he wears the way he handles himself the way he walks in what he does it's it's worth watching just that opening even if you throw it on youtube kolchak k o l c h a k the Night Stalker opening theme, and just watch that. That's characterization. Um, Hamlet, of course. If we're gonna, what what a segue from Columbo and Kolchak to Hamlet. Yeah, right? it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> but when you see him, I mean, from the from the all black attire to his opening lines and. You immediately know who this guy is, and and mm-hmm. there's been over 400 years of argument about whether he's sane or not. And I've, I've, you know, this is the first year I'm not teaching Hamlet in you know a quarter of a century, and um, my argument has always been, he's insane. Look at everyone around him; he might be the only <laughs> sane guy in the place, right? So. So again, great characterization from the get, and it's it's worth looking at how they come on. You know, um, first thing you see is all about you know the first dialogue, the first action. Check out a bunch of those, and you get insights into character. I just, um, I just one thing too. Um, again, using using my ancient you know age uh, and having watched. Movies that even were made before I was born, if you can believe that, second only to cave paintings. Uh, I have, found, yeah, he's not arguing with me. I want you to notice that, folks. <laughs> I, have, I have found that there was an era, of course, where everybody was pretty much one note. 
if you were good, you were good. If you were bad, you were bad. There was hardly ever anything in between. And I found it interesting when a character is flawed. I find it more interesting, uh, there's more story to tell when they have to come from one place when the film starts or, or the TV show starts, and they're somewhere else by the end of it because they've grown. They've been pushed. The conflict, the inner conflict has been addressed in some way. They've moved the needle a notch. And so I think that to some degree, whether you are into a heroic character who something sets him or her back, and so she, it maybe looks like she or he can't do whatever or won't do whatever, that's just as interesting as somebody who's foul as can be, but is placed in a situation where if they don't do the right thing, all hell breaks loose, and they, as well as everybody else, suffer. I think there's always some good storytelling, good conflict to explore in that. Cool. So now, how how do you generate empathy for a non-human character? Uh, you write meaning. How do you get the audience behind a non-human character? What do you do? How do you well, what, what if I, what's, my, what's your advice, sir? One of my favorite examples here is to... No, <clears throat> one of my favorite examples... Both involve both characters involve uh, things that theoretically you shouldn't feel anything about, but you know absolutely there was thought behind. How do I get my audience to to dig into it? R two D two. R two D two does not look like C three PO. C three PO at least has a humanoid form, even though it's a robot, right? So you can say, oh well, okay, eyes, nose, mouth, limbs. I I, I can I can kind of identify with that. And he's, he's got sort of a British accent, so it's almost like a pompous butler, okay? Yeah. But R2-D2 is, is basically beer cooler on wheels. You know, it, it, there's, it, and there's no eyes. There's, the arms are things that come out of the body now and then, but really. But somehow, they created a personality for it. And they used the same technique for that that is utilized in my other example, which is Wally. Okay, mm -hmm. the animated movie Wally, W A L L I E, right? Sound. Sound and shape and size are key. R2D2 is not six feet tall, bullet shaped. It's short, it's waist high. And the sound of R2D2 communicating are these little light, cute beats and whirls. And mm -hmm. Right? Same thing with Wally, and I, you know, go through this with my students. Um, you've got a creature, or an entity, a character that's been left on a desolate earth. You've got war-torn buildings, you know, all destroyed around it, waste, stuff scattered everywhere, not a human being in sight. And there's this environmental robot that's moving along the area, and and the environmental robot is what size? It it looks to be possibly knee high. And, and is it a big clunky thing? No, it's a little thing, knee-high, box-shaped. Okay, and what does it sound like when it makes noise? These little high-pitched, cute little beats and things like that. And what's its companion? This bug that's even smaller than it is, this tiny little bug. And I say, what, when you think about it, what feeling do you get from these two creatures? What do you think of when you think of High-pitched voices, little diminutive size, and people immediately go, after a while, thought, children. Yeah. And instantly, you can connect to this thing because it strikes that note in you, little kid. And with Wally, little kid lost in an area that looks decimated, war-torn, uh, you know, uh, orphans, all of that. So part of how you develop empathy for characters that are non humanoid is you endow them with what we call human characteristics or things that elicit a feeling in us as if we're relating to a particular type of human. Children right. and animals tend to get pluck at our heartstrings almost. Oh, yeah. Right. So that's one way that I, I, you know, I, I point out you can do that is by the endowing of. I'll give you two. I'll add two in. Um. That's one is those. Yeah. one. I I'm Yes. Okay. One. I don't. I mean, it shouldn't work. Okay. And that's the Pixar lamp. <laughs> most 
most well known by the uh, the logo when he comes in, you know, he or she or it, whatever, it comes in and bounces on the eye and replaces the eye. But, you know, there's a short with this lamp, but it's amazing to, and again, it's worth, uh, it's worth tracking down and watching because when you say what's making me empathize with this lamp, and when you uh, arrive at that answer for yourself, there's a good insight into characterization. Mm -hmm. And I would go, another one I would go with, John Wick's dog. Ah. Right? Um, if you haven't seen John Wick, it's a shoot 'em up of shoot 'em ups, right? Yes. But the very first one, the dog is pivotable, pivotal on the whole series. And why he even wound this guy, wound up with a dog. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a spoiler to tell the why, but it's worth watching again for the characterization exercise. Who gives it to him? So what does that, because of who gives John Wick the dog, it imbues that dog with a lot more meaning to John Wick mm -hmm. than anyone would have guessed. And there's hell to pay for that. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, it's other than that, right? Other than the backstory, it's a dog like any dog, right? But it's what we cannot, and for ages, what we have invested into uh, emotionally into dogs, you know, mm -hmm. and and uh, when we look in their eyes or how they do things, you know. Um, you look at Toto. If we if we take the oh, I what a beautiful, cute little dog out of Toto. Toto's a pain in the ass that causes a lot of the problems. But we, we never. What we are you never, hoping, Chris? But you know, if he if he had behaved and not jumped out of the bath, none of this crap would have happened. She would have got home on time, you know, and she wouldn't. You know, none of this stuff wouldn't have happened to her. She'd be down in the the storm cellar with. Uh, so um but there's so much charm to toto that for some reason we completely forgive that he's an enormous pain in the ass which is amazing <laughs> again great exercise Only way to look at wizard of oz folks yes <laughs> yeah. let me let me, throw, let me throw this out too um Two different films, both animals involved. Uh, Homeward Bound, which the lead characters in that, even though they're humans in it, the lead characters in that who do talk, you know, through voiceover, you know, uh, uh, voices, are two dogs and a cat. And the cat's played by Sally Fields. The younger dog, who's very, you know, energetic and everything like that, his medium-sized dog is played by Michael J. Fox. And the older dog, which is sort of like an old setter, a little bit shaggier, is played by Don Amici. And these three animals are left behind by their family who have to move to another state and can't take the animals with them. So they, they leave them in a shelter with the hopes that they'll be given a good home somehow. The, dogs, the, the animals escape and begin this trek over mountain and hills and dales and rivers and all this stuff to get home. And, and it's this whole big odyssey. Well, yeah, you're watching three live animals go through all this, but come on, we know that they're not thinking the things we hear these voices say, but the way these characters are interacting with Michael J. Fox's character being this sort of young, punky thing, you know, the, you know not punky, but uh, perky and, and energetic and always running without thinking and getting into trouble and the old wise dog trying to, we immediately get father, son, or, or grandson and grandfather you know, we get that familiar thing that we can tie into, and we can feel an empathy for one or the other, right? Um, now, go to a, a Marvel movie, and and let's 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 face it, Rocket really doesn't have a whole lot to look forward to in terms of you know a happy-go-lucky life, because as I understand it, he's the only one of his kind. He's alone. I mean, he's with the other individuals of the Guardians. But none of them are raccoons, talking, weapon-wielding raccoons. So, you know, once again, we're looking at this creature, this entity that, in most cases, we'd be setting traps to make sure that they didn't rob our chicken coop or something like that. 
So again, we, we endow them with personalities and we give them human stripes or conflicts that our audience can identify with or sympathize with or, back to the word we use at the beginning of this, empathize with. Right. And right. that is what draws us in to follow these characters on their journey. I'm going to give a, uh, sh uh, a shout out to a YouTube show. Go for it. Um, it's called Implicitly Pretentious. Oh, I love the title that's already. The, that's the name of the, and it's um, kind of a, he seems to be an um, English philosophy um, graduate or something like that. And what he does is he applies um, psychological and philosophical analysis to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a few other Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. Okay. And um, you mentioned Rocket. He has a whole piece that he does on Rocket that, um, again, implicitly pretentious is a great place to get into the deeper uh, study of characterization because it exists entirely to analyze the journeys of each of these comic book characters mm. and show how each one of them actually has philosophical or deep story structure um, underpinnings or psychological underpinnings. And one, it makes all the stuff that he's talking about, all those Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that stuff, much more fun to watch because you see how much is behind it. But it gets us also to look back at, oh, that's what can go, what can go into characterization. Mm -hmm. um, I'll segue over to another thing. We both watch Masterclass. Right? Yes, we, we do. Descriptions of Masterclass. And I happened to be watching, I was way up way too early to be uh, this productive, but I was watching <laughs> Neil Gaiman's uh, Masterclass. And he happened to, you know, the episode happened to be about characterization. And um, at one point, uh, you know, I can listen to Neil Gaiman forever. He's got such I a charming way about him. But he's, he's, he reads a very short story of hit from a book called trigger warning and if we ever put this video up there it is um and there's a section in trigger warning which is a lot of short stories and stuff called uh, a calendar of tales and he you know january tale february tale all that stuff. so this is the october tale and it opens up with a guy saying oh that's much better oh yeah and he's cracking his neck or whatever and it turns out the guy is a genie and he does the, oh, you're, you're so lucky, uh, you know, I am a genie and uh, you are, I'm going to grant you three wishes. And don't try the, and my third wish is I want more wishes because I won't play that way and you'll <laughs> lose a wish, right? And the girl who had, you know, freed him by polishing the lamp, she says, you know, so he says, you know, I'm going to grant you the three wishes. And she says, no, I'm okay. <laughs> and another great thing, uh, exercise in characterization, you know, get your character, you know, figure out who your character is, what the norms of that character, you know, is, for example, a genie grants wishes. Well, then the what if comes in again, right? What if someone doesn't want wishes? What happens? You know, and it's a beautiful three page story. Go to library, pick it up, go to Libby, you know, and just look it up and it'll, you'll have it under 15 minutes. Wow. And, and, and you can play with that freshness of asking a tried and true character, what if we flip right. it in another direction? You know, and that's another way to go. Um, and in that conversation, he mentioned uh, uh, Neil Gaiman Neil loves Gaiman, Robert. Right, yeah. He loves Robert A. Heinlein. And um, I have it right here. He says that Highland says there's only three kinds of human interest stories, right? Um, the little tailor, which is, you know, uh, poor man gets rich, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know, boy meets girl. And the man who learns or, or the person who learns better. And this October tale with the genie is exactly that one, you know, someone who learns better. There's another way to play with characterization. You look at those three, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of different people who say there's, you know, um, 
Oh, damn. Uh, one of the Russian authors said there's only a hero's journey and a stranger comes to town. Those are the only two stories. You know, so there's a billion people who said, but you can take these, you know, almost almost cliches and then say, okay, which one would my character fit into? And then how can I play? Right. You know, right. right? The guy from Pixar, he was like, you know, take the toys out of the toy box and play. Right. This is what you do with your characters. And of course, we've always talked about ask a million questions about your oh, character. Yeah. Yeah, a million. Everything. Walk around. You know, uh, I was, I was. Another thing I did this morning. You know, if you get up early, a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> Especially if you can't I sleep. Was, yes. It wasn't. It. I don't even know if the sun was up yet, and I was sweeping floors, right? But sweeping floors, you know, it's kind of a Zen thing. It's uh, sweeping a floor. It's not really sweeping floor. It's thinking about the character. You know. Because yeah, right. <laughs> right? I was thinking about Gunner. I was thinking about Mallory. And just this is this was keeping me physically busy, but you know it frees the mind, right? Um, you, um, I lost my. I was having so much fun. I lost my track train of thought. Um, oh, I think damn it. I can edit it later. <laughs> oh, oh, you know it's it's asking everything about your character. You know, so I'm sweeping in a, and uh, as. We have talked about in other episodes. Uh, one of my characters in in a rewrite of a novel that I'm doing used to be a dude. Now he's a dudette, or she's a dudette. And I am always asking. You know, I listen to a lot of things, do a lot of research because you know you have to pay respect to that and do it yeah. right. But the other exercise is okay. How does she dress? How does she react? What does she? You know, what is this? You know, and it's. I'm sweeping. I'm like, well, what's her house look like? Because I knew what it used to look like. Is that still flying? Yeah. Who is this person? You know, and and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, apply it to your characters. Absolutely. And and, and play. You know, if you're going to the bank, well, would she or he use this bank? How much yeah. would be in their bank account? Are they a teller person or are they happy with the ATM? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that, you know. Yeah. Or do they have, um, is everything on a card now? You know, is it uh, oh. a debit? Is, are they a debit person? You know, yeah. all these little things that sound like nothing, they inform. And the more you know this character and, you know, what what cereals do they pick up in the cereal aisle? Can they get past the cookie aisle? Or is it, you know, uh, you know they gotta, you know, that's their weak point, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, you know. I was going to uh, mention, I was going to mention a, a little, you know, had on my own back here uh you were talking about the you know delving into uh your characters and you mentioned the, what, the implicit whatever the implicitly the, pretentious a right. really fun Pretty youtube series yeah. right so you'd mentioned that which again you know it's a person digging into characterizations of uh or or philosophical and psychological looks at marvel characters and people like that um i was i was privy to be co-editor and to write some pieces for book that came out two years ago called the Black Panther and uh, Psychology book. Mm -hmm. In that, I was one of several people who wrote pieces within that book about the psychology, the psychological effect of the Black Panther, some of the characters there, and the nation of Wakanda, and how it had influenced other writers, the audience base out there, uh, and how some of the characters also functioned, and what did they represent. And I'm not a psychologist, you know, at all, but there were several people who were, who wrote uh, within that. And then there were writers, uh, such as myself, who wrote our understanding of a character or the effect of that character. And what's, what's, what's wonderful is to see that, again, either way, we all did our homework. We may have come from different points of study and knowledge, you know, technical or otherwise, but it was still very much about what makes these people tick. Right. Who are they? How do they function? What makes them tick? And now there's this new book that's coming out, which again, I got another piece in called Black Panther Tales of Wakanda. That's coming out mm -hmm. this month, uh, first week in March. And uh, that's coming out of Marvel Titan uh, Publishing. And this anthology is, again, by a number of different writers now, Nikki Giovanni and a number of others, Jesse Holland, myself. And 
we've taken on different characters. So it's not all just Black Panther stories. It's other characters who are uh, of Wakandan uh, ancestry or origin. And so I actually chose to do a piece on uh, T'Challa's actual mother, his birth mother, rather than uh, she who married his father afterwards. And people say, well, why did you choose to do that one? I said, because she intrigued me. The woman who brought him into the world and what happened to her and what I don't know about her and what she might have been like intrigued me. And that's just it. It wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to have his mom kick butt or get tossed down a you know, mountainside of vibranium. It wasn't that. It was who was she? What was it like for her? What was it like you know, up until that point where she was no longer part of his world? And so that's another thing. The psychology of the character is often influenced by the psychology and the upbringing and the influence of the writer. Right. And that's another thing that we look at as we go forth to choose the themes and things that we write about is, okay, what's important to us? What do we want to talk about? What intrigues us? What excites us? What's fascinating? And how do I bring that excitement and, and, and all those other elements to the story to serve the story? and subsequently to serve the audience. Yeah, and, and I think it br that brings us to our, that's really our final point for yeah. for this topic. That too, you gotta ask the questions, you know, as many questions as you can. And, to, and second, you have to do the homework, you know, look into it, learn, always, you know, again, that's a, I'm paraphrasing Gaiman from this morning. He says, always be willing to learn about things that, you know, that your character, isn't you know mm -hmm. if your character does something that you don't do like you know be the king of a, a african country well then you might have to look into that or <laughs> give birth to the back you know the eventual black panther that's fascinating and 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 who she was um i don't i don't remember how old she was or how old he was when she died i don't i don't remember that do you it's remember that <laughs> there you go. Buy the book, damn it. There's two. That's that's Black Panther and Psychology is one. You can get that now. Black Panther Psychology, yeah, right. And Black, Black Panther, Panther Tales of Wakanda. Wakanda. When is that hitting the stands? It, it, literally, it's slated to be in the stores by the first week of March. It's going to pop out sooner. You can order it now. Yes, and right. order it from a order it from a you know your local bookstore. Yeah, you know, I mean, God bless Amazon, but they got enough money. God bless them. Get out of here, you know. Let's go to the little guy. Let Let's make sure or girl who, um, you know, let's make sure we we support those. Um, what is yep. the name of that? Was it the Bronx is reading? There, or there's there's a bookstore in the Bronx that I want I want to do a reading in. I you're gonna the name. To, you're gonna have to start. We're gonna have to start doing our homework before I do our episodes because yeah, we didn't have. Well, because we you know we come. Oh man, what is that called? Um, You've talked about it before, another. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool bookstore, um, and uh, the young lady who owns it runs it, whatever. Um, and the young lady in Philadelphia has got a great comic book store in Philadelphia, yeah. and she also brings in these novels and things like that. And I couldn't tell you the name of that store right now, but I will find it and put it in the comments yeah. for us. Those are the stores we have to support, you know, yeah. and whatever your, yeah. you out there, whatever your local bookstore is. Yep. Boy Alex's books, damn it. <laughs> now, <laughs> there's that too. Uh, let me let me just quickly throw out a question to our audience. We're also going to put it up on, on our Facebook page and everywhere else that you can find Tell the Damn Story. Uh, we're going to be doing live. We're going to do a uh, Tell the Damn Story live this month. Towards the end of the month. You mean like Facebook Live? Facebook Live, that's right. We're, we're, we're already alive. But we're Thank God. Thank God for that. We're going to do Facebook Live. And uh, I was originally saying either the 21st or the 28th of this month. So it's either the second to the last Sunday or the last Sunday. So I want to ask two questions. You guys want you to vote 21st or the 28th. And then I want you to vote on 11 a.m. in the morning or 12 p.m. Now, people are going to say, well, wait a minute. Where are you guys? We're Eastern Standard Time. We're New York, New Jersey guys. OK, so the question is 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the 21st or the 28th of February. Vote, vote. Let us know so we can prime this just right, so we can have more of you on because we're going to have we're going to do some Q and A and stuff like that. We're also going to try and have a couple of guests on, and we want to have this as interactive as possible. So 
let us know. Drop the comments below. Uh, send us an email. Go to our Facebook page and drop a comment there. Uh, any of that good stuff. Chris, what did I leave out? Peace. Peace, yeah. <laughs> Peace. Blood. Love yeah. you, brother. Peace. Yeah. Okay, everybody, thanks again. Thanks again. Thanks again, Chris. As always, fun and informative. It is always fun. an honor, sir. And let me say that Love again. Love to be in your presence. <laughs> Give the goddess a hug for me. Tell the boys I said hi. All that good and stuff. Right back at you right. for all of yours. Thank you. Thank you. We have we have, we really don't have kids anymore. We have adults. Yeah, I know. I know. It throws so, me. I have to call so it my Send my best to all your adults. Yes, I will. And, and my best to your offsprings as well. And, and my oh, best to my there goddess. Go then. There you go. All right. So we're going to be going now. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. Peace.